Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. 1946, Preston Tucker and his family began to build the car of the future. Today. Is there anything you want to explain first about the dogs? Well, I uh, traded the old Packer for them. They would challenge the automotive giants in Detroit. Is there anybody in this room who can look me in the eye and tell me we can't do it? Building a car in your barn is one thing, but mass production, that's something else. Idea that counts in the dream. It was almost too good to be true. Detroit, they're putting the squeeze on. We can't buy steel, we can't buy anything. So I made an appointment with Senator Ferguson. Oh, what do you think? A big smile and a pat on the back is going to make him forget he's a senator from Detroit. Find an idea of yours selling dealerships for cars that don't exist. What did he say? He said, stay out of the car business. Tucker built the thing. Well, not everything he advertised, not yet, but enough right now to cost billions just to keep up with them. You don't understand how powerful the forces are that are working against us here. Ever since you road tested the new car, 40 g that have been following you around the clock. What for? You make the car too good. Ah, well, don't worry about it now. I'll take care of it. Mr. Tucker, we're from the Securities and Exchange Commission. We shall prove the only thing Mr. Tucker designed was an elaborate scheme to defraud. Why would they do something so stupid like that if they know we can prove it's a lie? But if enough headlines say that I'm a crook, well, that's the enemy in the car, which is what this whole thing's all about, isn't it? If you're not careful, you're going to spend the next 20 years of your life in prison. And we are going to build that car, the one we dreamed of, exactly the one we wanted. Paramount Pictures presents a Lucasfilm production of a Francis Coppola film. The big business closes the door on the little guy with a new idea. We're sabotaging everything that the country stands for. They can make headlines with lies. We can make bigger headlines with the truth. He is dead. Hold the tiger! Jeff Bridges is Tucker. The true story of one man and his dream. And now... Hey, Rocky! Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Button up my sleeve. Presto! No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hi, this is NASCAR Hall of Fame crew chief Ray Evernham, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tan Talk 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Yes, that's where we are. Good evening, Tommy. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Robert. How you, what are you laughing at in there? I don't know. I just pushed the wrong buttons, and you know, well, actually, I'm in Facebook jail. Oh, it's so. funny when you do it. Yeah, it's funny when I do it. You know, but anyway, so for what it's worth, so all my friends can't see me on Facebook because I'm in Facebook jail for the next I don't know how long. You know how that goes. But anyway, so just tune in here to the what's the studio thing? It's uh, Tan Talk 1340, right? Something like that. Tan Talk 1340. No, no, not the YouTube thing. Oh yeah, YouTube. Forgot about YouTube. 
Yeah, we do. Well, if they want to see you in all your glory, go to YouTube, W Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Search it. Yeah, yeah. I forgot all about that. If I knew how to work a computer, I mean, you know, I mean, I I, I still work on carburetors and points, you know, so I still haven't figured out a computer. It's just like air or something. I mean, there's nothing mechanical. It's just what? a bunch of. <laughs> Anyway, oh yeah, if you want to find out more about us, don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. And if you missed any of our past shows, go to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the archive page. Um, so we got an exciting show for you tonight. we got a girl, uh, really interesting guy coming on. We're going to be talking about cars as usual, because that's what the show's all about, automotive stuff. And, uh, you know, the, uh, let's see, did I go into any car shows lately? What did I do this past weekend? Um, oh yeah, I actually did. I what, There was uh, Goobers and Lubers down there. I guess they call it Quaker Steak and Lube. I call it Goobers and Lubers. But anyway, they had a little thing going on on uh, Saturday, so I did. He bopped in there, checked out that place, and uh, a couple of cool cars in there, you know. Um, and uh, so, you know, and that's what's really cool. You know, the car thing is just it's a camaraderie thing, and so it doesn't matter whether you have, whether you have a Ford, a Chevrolet, a Chrysler, a, a Jaguar, a Porsche, a Trabant. Uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is because there was one on Facebook the other day, and the guy didn't have only one, but he actually had two of those little Russian doohickeys. Actually, they're DDR, Deutsche uh, Demokratische Republik um, cars. They're basically little... Well, the East Germans like to consider them the Volkswagen of the of East Germany, but, uh, you know, you can't beat a bug. A bug is a bug. Tommy, did you ever own a Volkswagen? Uh, own, no. You never had a bug? Really? My dad had a bunch of bugs, and uh, when I was a kid, he was going. He brought one back. He was supposed to bring back a Porsche, but he couldn't get one because they were all sold out at the time. And he was impatient, so he bought a Volkswagen Cabriolet convertible. And he brought that over. That was in 1962 when we lived in California, EIA. And uh, so that was all the rage, you know, convertible Volkswagen. You know, he used to take us to school, and you know, unlike kids that would sit in the car with the seat belts on. No, we sat on dad when dad flipped the back top down, you know, it sat up kind of high, so it was kind of like riding around in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang there a little bit, you know, because we sat on the top thing. It was kind of cool. And the Volkswagen has these two little hand grips that when you're inside, they're kind of like you hang on to them. Well, we could hold on to those from the outside. None of us ever thought that that was dangerous. That was kind of like riding in the back of a Jeep or a pickup truck. You ever ride in the back of a Jeep or a pickup truck just kind of bouncing around back there? Tommy? Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, all the things that we did back in the day that by today's standards are considered unsafe or politically correct you know i mean when i look back and i think of if you looked at some of the safety a a child seat out of the 60s you know you look at that thing and it was just some little thing that flipped over the back of the seat it looked like something you take to the beach you know and it had a little kind of hung over the back of the seat and you sat in it and it wasn't even comfortable it was kind of like a hammock if you will and my mom had one of those and i'll never forget when she slammed on the brakes one time because some guy pulled out in front of her guess what that thing came off i went off because i'm in it so it's centrifugal weight we all went forwards and bam against that metal dash you know anybody can relate to that you know and, and in fact it's funny because you know when you talk about safety you know back in those days you had metal dashes you had these sharp really cool protruding radio knobs and windshield wiper knobs and all that stuff i got a lot of impressions back in those days left i mean you know when you hit something yeah i gotta laugh that's kind of funny um my mom had a 57 mercury and it actually had a padded dash when she got that and i thought that was really cool in fact i thought it was so cool i actually used to chew on it <laughs> i can't i mean it was just kind of because it was spongy you know i mean that was man I guess I had issues back then. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you weren't in your 20s, were you? No, 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 no. No, that didn't come down later. <laughs> Those were other issues. But anyway, um, yeah, my mom had a 61 Olds Dynamic 88 station wagon. White car, burgundy top, burgundy interior. And station wagon, I remember when we got that, 61 or 2 or whatever it was. That was the coolest thing in the world. You know, if you had a station wagon... I mean, I was over with Chris Dunn's the other day at Lincoln Land. Big shout out to Chris over there. And uh, he had a 61 Lincoln sitting back, or 61 or 62 Ford Galaxy wagon. I mean, you could get a full 4x8 sheet of plywood in the back of that. It's like my excursion. My excursion, you can get a 4x8 sheet of plywood in it. But my 2016 Ford Transit, it's 7 it's seven feet 4 inches. So it's 6 inches short of 8 feet you know, in the cargo area, which is dumb you know i have to talk to the boys at ford about that and um i mean come on six inches really no big deal you know stretch it anyway um 
And uh, so, I mean, when you fold all the seats down in that station wagon, it was like a playground back there. It was a lot of fun. You know, we used to take load that thing up with blankets and pillows and our two wiener dogs, and we would travel all over California, go up north and all over the place and crashing that thing. It was fun. And, uh, you know, today everybody's got SUVs. It was funny because in the 70s, you know, in early 80s, women didn't want to be seen in a station wagon because they didn't want to be labeled. Today, they're all in SUVs. I mean, you got, and then they sit down low. I mean, they can't get the seat up high, so they see over the front of the thing. They're sitting low. The only thing you see is a couple white knuckles, you know, on top of the steering wheel, you know, and maybe some hair, you know, and then you got these pite side little twits in there driving these big giant SUVs, these Suburbans and, and Ford Explorers and, and Pimkelades and all that kind of junk, and you just go, Gee whiz, you know, and then you wonder why there's not enough, you know, why there's all these accidents, why they're running over everybody. But uh, at least back in those days, you know, station wagon, you know, at least the seat was up at a reasonable level so that you could actually look down over the front of the car. And they weren't that high. They didn't really block you that much. But today, you know, you get behind an SUV and it's like you can't see around it, you know, and there's just tons and tons and tons of them out there. And that's all the rage these days. But but long roofs or station wagons, and long roofs is kind of like the slang term for them, uh, are pretty cool. And um, I'm looking at uh, a 63 Mercury that a guy's got. And then Chris's, like I said, it's got that 61 or 62 Ford, which I think is pretty cool. It's got just a little bit of rust, but pretty nice old car. It's a black car with a woody, woody paneling on the side. Pretty neat piece. We did an appraisal on a uh, 1960 Ford. I talked about it on the show, 60 Ford sedan delivery. And then uh, my good buddy from uh, Jim, from Jim Terry Music. So if you want uh, uh, some nice vintage equipment, you know, don't forget to check out Jim Terry's music. He's also a, a music instructor. Also, shout out to uh, Stevie down there at uh, St. Pete Music uh, as well. He's also got a whole bunch of vintage guitars. All these guys have been around for a long time. But Jim called me up the other day because he was looking for an old panel wagon. And he kind of wanted to relic it a little bit and then kind of use it as a uh, promotional vehicle for himself. So that would have been kind of pretty cool. So I'm in the market uh, to try to find him a panel wagon, preferably a Ford, obviously. But, you know, if it's a Chevy or a Pontiac or something cool out of the 50s, panel wagons were kind of neat back in the day, you know. And because uh, that was kind of like a, a, your base wagon, two seats. It's kind of like if you're familiar with the term business coupe. You know, they had Ford business coupe, Dodge business coupe, Chevrolet business coupes, Packard business coupes even um, back in the day. It was basically a stripped down two-door sedan or a four-door or kind of a makeshift wagon. But basically, there was no back seat. And basically, what it was had a big cargo area because for the traveling salesman, he could keep all his uh, product in there, his wares, as they say and uh, drive around. So if you didn't want a paddle wagon, you know, you want something a little bit more comfortable, you know, you bought a car. So hence they came up with these uh, stripped down business coupes that basically you could access from the trunk. So, you know, like today you got a fold down back seat so you can get into the trunk. Well, back then, hey, you think it's new? It's not new. So anyway, I think what we're going to do, because I'm going to get our guest on the phone here, we're going to go ahead and uh, fire up our stereo here. But a uh, couple quick things, flacarshows.com, all the car shows going on. Amelia Island Concourse is going to be in May. Sebring 12 Hours is coming up here shortly and next week. And HSR, our good friends out there at Historic Sports Car Racing, will also be at Sebring the following week. And um, big shout-out, today is uh, Rib Shack Tuesday. You know, so if you want some good bar, 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 BBQ, don't forget to go visit our friends on Wednesday nights over there at uh, – Dunedin Brewery, if you want to get some homemade Dunedin uh, authentic Florida brew, brewskis. All right, so what do we got? We got a little, uh, since our guest is from Michigan, we're on a Michigan kick. Are we got, what do we got? A little Bob Seeger? Is that what we got? How about it's, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars and it's time to turn the page. Don't touch that dial, we'll be right back. All alone and lonesome highway, east of Omaha. You can listen to the engine moaning out as one note song You can think about the woman or the girl you knew the night before But your thoughts will soon be wandering the way they always do When you're riding 16 hours and there's nothing much to do and you don't feel much like riding You just wish the trip was through mm. See, here I am On the road again There I am 
Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. We are back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, as usual, you know, I usually have something to say, but I kind of forgot what I was going to say because I got sidetracked for a minute. But anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, don't forget to check out all the races this weekend. Don't forget to go to some of the car shows. Don't forget to get your cars on the road. Uh, I'm pretty impressed with the fact that uh, classic cars are doing pretty well. And uh, I was talking to a couple of the guys over at some of the uh, other classic car dealers. PJ's over there, Golden Classics. He's doing real good. Gateway's doing real good. Street Side's doing real good. Um, the auctions evidently are knocking them out of the park. So it should be pretty interesting. And, of course, like I said, Amelia Island's coming up in a couple of months. I think there's going to be a few auctions there. A lot of a lot of the bigger auctions, the high-end auctions, a lot of those guys are going, um, I'm going to say, uh, online I still can't come to terms with buying something sight unseen. Although, you know, one of my favorite websites that I go to is Bring a Trailer. Big shout-out to those guys out there in California, IA. And, um, but they seem to do really well. I mean, they got guys that come out and look at the cars and accurately describe the cars so you know what you're buying. But still, you know, there's something about looking at a car, you know. Um, I just kind of just have that thing. I mean, most of the cars that I sell generally are project cars. Every once in a while, I get something that's actually pretty nice. We pimped a couple Porsche 911s here in the last couple of months. And uh, they did pretty good. I got a line in a couple more. So, but those Porsches do okay. 911s do older, air cooled ones, 78 to 89. Those are the ones that I'm kind of into. And I look for those every once in a while. So, if anybody's got a 78 89 911 for sale, be sure and contact us through our website, golfstreammotorsports.com. And on that note, I think what I'm going to do oh, yeah, it, vintage Mustangs. I am really heavy into 65 to 73 Mustangs, mostly 65, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 70s. Some 71, 72. 73, yeah, okay, you know. But believe it or not, actually, Mustang 2s are kind of getting collectible. Fox Body Mustangs are doing real good. The 94 to 2004, eh. The 2005 to 2009 S197s are doing pretty good. And obviously, the 2015, the current model year cars are cool. And the Shelbys are just way out. I mean, 800 and some odd horsepower, just at the flick of a switch. Just crazy. You know, when I think about what we had, you know, cars running low 11s. High tens out of the box. What we had to do back then to do that, just mind-blowing. That is a subject for another day. We'll get somebody on and we'll talk about fast, 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 fast cars. So on that note, I think Tommy's going to go ahead and uh, throw uh, something else on the turntable here. And, uh, oh, we have a little Grand Funk Railroad here. How about uh, more Michigan music? Mark Farner and uh, Grand Funk. Hey, we're an American band, and you're listening to an American radio show right here on... uh, called Nostalgic Radio and Cars, all about cars. Don't touch that, we'll be right back.
One. Special sports performance, Sports Roof Mustang. Mach 1, something scorching to keep Mustang, the original and the front runner, thundering along far ahead of the pack. In 1969, all the Mustangs will take their cue from this way out but way in wild one. With styling all new. Longer by almost four inches. That much more impressive in the long hood look that Mustang pioneered. Wider too. And lower. Marking the Mach 1 as the hottest of all Mustangs. All sorts of special excitement. Two-tone GT hood. And competition style hood lock pins. Twin color-keyed racing mirrors. Exclusive Mach 1 performance striping. Special high back buckets. Sports console standard, along with many more extras in the way of special trim and performance features. All of this, plus a special sound insulation package. And power as big as a new 428 Cobra Jet Ram Air Induction V8 option to make the Mach 1 the hottest car in Mustang's class. An 8 so hot performing, it comes with its own poke-through air cleaner that jumps when the engine grinds. Mustang, Mach 1. Color this one hot. Hi, this is Jochen Bass, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Wunderbar. <laughs> okay, thank you, Jochen. Well-known German race car driver. Okay, we're back, and it's time to tune in to uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Obviously, we're right here. And it's also time to welcome our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is the curator of transportation for the Henry Ford Museum. Delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Matt Anderson. Matt, how are you? Hey, I'm well. How are you? All the way from Michigan. How's it? Uh, how's the weather up there right now? It's finally getting better. It, uh, we, we got hit pretty hard with snow last month, but uh, feels like spring now. Okay. Um, by the way, did they have normally the Detroit Auto Shows? What January, right? Yeah. Then they were going to move it to uh, June, and then because of COVID, they pushed it back to fall. And now I think we're just in a holding pattern until things clear up. But uh, boy, looking forward to it coming back. Huh. Wow. Okay. So, all right. So you're with the, uh, you're the curator of transportation uh, at the Henry Ford Museum. Now tell us what exactly your job description is. Yeah. So I get to work with the, uh, the museum's transportation collections, which include locomotives and uh, airplanes, but mostly cars. We've got about 300 different vehicles and uh, I should say not all Fords, a lot of Fords and Lincolns and Mercuries, but, uh, other brands too so I, I sort of decide what to bring into the collection what to exhibit and then how to uh, interpret it writing exhibit labels that kind of thing so a lot of fun okay so the exhibit that we're going to talk about this evening is driven and uh so tell us a little bit about that because from what i understand it took a little while to put this thing together and there's a general motors connection there yeah, this is our, our new racing exhibit, Driven to Win, Racing in America. And, uh, yeah, when you say long time, you're not kidding. We first started talking about this about 2007. So wow. <laughs> a few delays along the way. But I think the exhibit's going to be better for that. You know, we've got cars that are in it now that didn't exist when we first started talking about it. But uh, it's going to cover all the major forms of racing in the U.S. that are popular. And you're right, our, our presenting sponsor is General Motors, which is a uh, Pretty groundbreaking for us, given that our name is the Henry Ford. So we're really happy to be able to partner with them. Give us a little history on the Henry Ford real quick so we can kind of put that in perspective. Yeah, our museum was founded by Henry Ford himself in 1929. And he built it as a, sort of a dedication piece to his hero, Thomas Edison. And he wanted to document American innovation. So we've got uh, two major parts, the, the Henry Ford Museum of American Innovation, which is our indoor museum space, and then 
Greenfield Village, which is our outdoor space where we have 83 different historic structures from about 300 years of American history, everything from Edison's uh, New Jersey Laboratory to the Wright Brothers Cycle Shop. So a lot of great uh, American history here. Well, now that's interesting. Okay, so basically this all sets stage in Dearborn, correct? In the Dearborn area? That's right, yep. We're in Dearborn. Okay. And now I was there in 2003 for the 100-year anniversary, and uh, that was a spectacular event, some amazing cars. Uh, It was also the unveiling of the 2005 Mustang that uh, Jay May designed and his team. And uh, Greenfield Village at the time, there was a lot of stuff that they were working on. There was a lot of um, uh, buildings that had these exhibits in it. And that's kind of detached from the actual Henry Ford Museum, correct? That's right. Two different venues, but uh, right next door to each other. So the Henry Ford Museum, as far as the exhibits that are there... How many of the, how much of it, and what percentage of it is permanent, and what percent of it kind of, you know, a lot of museums they rotate their their exhibits. So, tell us about how that works. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Most of our uh, exhibits are, are what I would call permanent, and permanent for us means twenty five, thirty years or so. Mm-hmm. But we do have a changing exhibit gallery where we have different things coming in every few months, and then uh, we got a lot of little spaces around the museum too where we can sneak in some, some new acquisitions or some. Uh, special things we want to feature on a, on a theme or things like that. Okay, so tell us a little bit, take us from the start to finish on the Driven to Win exhibit. Because I know, I, I was looking at some of those, like you said, there's Indy cars in there, the Ford GT, the, the Le Mans cars in there, and, and a whole host of other amazing vintage race cars with true history. Yeah, well, just to give you the numbers, it's about 24,000 square feet, so roughly one-third the, the total size of our automobile exhibit space. We've got 29 cars right now, including our own cars and some special pieces on loan, and more than 225 different artifacts in there. You know, everything from helmets and racing suits to uh, we've got like Lynn St. James's Rookie of the Year trophy from 1992 at Indy. But yeah, we wanted to focus on the forms of racing that are popular in the U.S. So if you walk in, you're going to see land speed racing, hill climbing with uh, Pikes Peak. You're going to see sports car racing with uh, Daytona and Sebring. And we do talk about Le Mans, even though it's in. Uh, France, of course, uh, Indy and the Indianapolis 500, uh, stock car racing, the Daytona 500, and then drag racing, which is maybe the most American form of racing at all, just pure straight line speed. Well, now, I've got to ask these questions, because you mentioned Lynn St. James, and she's actually been a guest on our show, and she's also, I think, the guest of honor at Amelia Island this year. Um, yeah. And, okay, so drag racing, for example, and land speed, two names that come to mind to me, Big time with Ford is besides Connie Kalita, who's up your way, Michigan. It would be uh, Mickey Thompson. Are there any Mickey Thompson exhibits? We we don't have him at the moment. He's on our short list of things to collect, and uh, and we've been talking a little with uh, Connie Kalita and his, his folks about getting something on loan from them. So hoping to make that happen too. Yeah, Connie. I mean, he was big time with the four twenty seven cameras and stuff like that. I mean, back in the day. Um, NASCAR, you've got uh, Bud Moore Racing, you've got uh, Bill Strope out of California. Do you have any of their cars on exhibit? It, right now, the car we've got on, on Lone Surprise is from the Wood Brothers down in, in Stewart, Virginia. Oh. But, I mean, they're the most historic team in NASCAR. They kind of invented the modern pit stop, so proud to have that. Absolutely. How about Holman and Moody? Anything from Holman and Moody? We, we've been talking a little with Holman and Moody. We, we talk about them both uh, with stock car and there was sports car racing because, of course, they were... Uh, you're kind of in Shelby Shadow, but they were involved in the uh, Le Mans program in the 60s, too. Okay, then obviously i got to ask Shelby. How many Shelby cars are there? <laughs> yeah, we, we've got Shelby. The big, uh, the big piece is the 1967 Mark IV, which won Le Mans for Ford the second year in a row. And uh, you catch just a glimpse of it in the Ford versus Ferrari movie. But obviously there's been a lot of interest in that car and that story because of that film. Now, uh, Pikes Peak, when you talk about uh, um, Pikes Peak, I, the Unser's, Unser Brothers and Indy Car, they come to mind. Are there any Unser Brothers vehicles in there? Oh, yeah. We've got uh, Bobby Unser's Pikes Peak car. I think he won uh, Pikes Peak nine times in that car, built in 1958, raced it into the 70s. And then he's got a number of his uh, personal pieces, like his, his gear bag and uh, some experimental tires that he worked with, too. He was mixing walnut shells with the rubber for grip, so... Yeah, he's, he's the king of the mountain still. Now, Smokey Eunuch, most people associate Smokey Eunuch with uh, Chevrolet, but he was actually involved in some of the early Trans Am racing. I think late 68, 69, uh, he campaigned a Mustang, and obviously Bud Moore and those guys. Would you have any exhibits from them? 
We've been talking about Trans Am and, and how to reflect it, and we, we don't have a separate section for Trans Am. We kind of covered a little bit in sports car racing, but uh, we left a little space there in, in the museum where we can do in loan cars and do like special exhibits on uh, short themes like that. So that might be the future for Trans Am for us. Okay, good. So now, for example, when you do an exhibit like this, like this Driven to Win, which has taken a, a, a while to put together, how, how, does, how long does that exhibit stay on, on exhibit? On, on, on display. This will be a permanent one, so it's going to be there at least 25 years, maybe longer. So oh. I'm no doubt going to have to be updating some things as the years go by, but that's all right. It's a living space. Okay, so that okay, so I have a better understanding now. Okay, so basically that explains how that you may get other people to to donate cars for a while, and they'll be on exhibit, and then uh, so it change. So it's an evolving thing, basically. Exactly right. Yep. Okay. How about motorcycles? Are there any motorcycles involved in that exhibit? That's a great question. We've got a fantastic collection of motorcycles. Unfortunately, we, we haven't had many out on the floor lately. Right now, we've got a Honda TB750B, which had nothing to do with racing, but uh, still an important cycle. I'd like to talk a little bit about those. We've got some racing bicycles, for that matter, too, which would be fun to pull out. Okay, well, go ahead. Share some stories. This is what this well, this is what the show's all about. People love to hear stories. Now, keep in mind, when you tell these stories, tell them in such a way like old-school radio, where you actually... You're descriptive enough that the people can actually build a picture in their itty bitty little minds. My uh, favorite bicycle we have, and one that almost made it out into the exhibit, is a an 1898 Blue Streak bicycle, which was ridden by a fellow named Barney Oldfield. Really, the Barney Oldfield. The Barney Oldfield, yes, who uh, famously started racing for Ford. Uh, he'd raced bicycles before that, and never touched a car, much less driven in the car race, and said, "You know what? I'll, I'll try your." 999 racer and of course turned around and won the first race he was in with it and yeah Oldfield is I'd call him like the Ken Block of his day right he's always doing this outrageous stunts over the top and uh, kind of set the pattern for the larger than life American racing driver. Now if my history serves me correctly 1909 was the first Indy then they didn't do it in 1910 then they came back in 1911 am I correct on that? Yeah, 1911 was the first 500, but you're right. The first races were there in 1909. They, they did a full season of races and uh, found that, you know, the crowds came for the early races and then interest kind of tapered off. So they said, forget the full season. We're just going to do one super 500-mile race on Memorial Day weekend. And, of course, that served them very well ever since. Okay, and then what? And when Oldfield raced the 999, what year was that? That would have been 1902, 1903. Oh, three. So early, okay, yeah, hundred years ago. Okay, yeah, that's uh, or, or well, or yeah, over a hundred years, three years ago. But anyway, yeah. So all right, so cool. So now bicycles, and you mentioned, but but none of these are tied in with the Driven to Win exhibit, correct? Yeah. Now we do talk about Barney Oldfield and Driven to Win. In fact, we've got the 999 in our museum collection that is on display. You know, the kind of car keyed to him. Okay. Um, another early car we've got is the 1901 Sweepstakes, which is the first race car built by Henry Ford. He built this two years before Ford Motor Company even existed. And uh, people know the story about Henry Ford. He, he tried twice with automobile companies. Both of them failed. Ford was his third try, Ford Motor Company. And third time was a charm in his case. But in between failures, he went racing to kind of restore his reputation and get some investors interested in what he was trying to do. So... Without that sweepstakes car and the win he had over Alexander Witten, I, you know, I don't think any of this Ford Motor Company, the, the museum, any of it would exist today. The, uh, the 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 exhibit does it also have? Um, is there any aviation involved in it at all? I mean, because I think he was wasn't he experimenting with 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 aviation there. There was like like an offshoot there with some aviation motors. Yeah, there, there was some, some crossover there. The only aviation we've got in the exhibit there is a giant wool-sized mural photo of Barney Oldfield racing against Lincoln Beachy, who's a name maybe not so well-known today, but he was like the greatest uh, aerial stunt pilot of his era, 1910, 1915, thereabouts. So uh, we do talk about that. We actually have a separate aviation exhibit in, in the museum where we've got, though, about 23 planes from pre-World War II, all civil aircraft, but a Ford Tri-Motor, as you would expect, and... Mm -hmm. A lot of other cool planes in there too. So now on on these exhibits like the nine 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 and then sweepstakes, are those the original vehicles or are those replicas or are they part of the original vehicles? How much of the the stuff's authentic? 
those are the original cars. They they are authentic, and uh, you know the sweepstakes was always pretty much in Henry Ford's possession. So it's, you know something he just held on to over the years. Nine nine nine, as I recall, went to a, a dealer in San Francisco who displayed it for a number of years, and then gave it back to Ford the mid nineteen twenties in time to come to the museum. But yeah, we're fortunate to have really three very early American racing cars. Those two, and then we have the Locomobile Old Sixteen, which was the first car American built car to win the Vanderbilt Cup race. Okay, well, wait a minute. The Thomas Flyer. Oh no, no, Thomas Flyer won the world, the world truck thing. That was what nineteen oh seven or nineteen oh eight or something like that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now the Vanderbilt Cup was on uh, Long Island, and uh, you know the the Germans and the the French had been winning year after year. And then when the Locomobile won, it was a big moment for American automakers. It kind of said, you know, our cars are every bit as good as those coming out of Europe. Now, are, if if I were to tour this museum. And you're saying that this uh, Driven to Win exhibit is 25,000 square feet? Uh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So is it basically like a tour, like I sign up, and then they have basically a uh, museum personnel that will, walks around and, and kind of highlights certain certain features of the uh, Driven to Win exhibit? Yeah, we've got different options. If, if you want to come in and just explore on your own, you're certainly welcome to do that. And You, know, you can spend as much or as little time in the exhibits as you want. We also do have a guided tour program that you can sign up for and then get uh, a little more personal experience as you go through the exhibits. Okay, so if I was up there and I wanted to do the guided tour, what would it, ha- what would it cost me, roughly? Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. <laughs> I apologize, I don't, but it's not a whole lot more, maybe $10 or so more over your standard admission, but it's worth it. You get some real uh, expertise to it. Okay, what's the... Say, adding... Uh, uh, an audio tour component. So, you know, download it with your phone and you can plug it in your headphones and listen to it that way. Oh, okay. That's so free, yeah. How much is the, if I wanted the, to, to tour the exhibit itself, the entire museum, how much does that cost? What's it cost to get in? Yeah, I think our mission right now is around uh, $25, but that, uh, you know, includes the entire museum there so you can explore everything and spend as long as you'd like, as I say, and uh, no upcharge for the racing exhibit. And there's even a movie experience in the racing exhibit with a special theater. No extra charge for that either. So if I were to tour this particular exhibit, in all reality, how much time would I have to kind of budget to fully enjoy this the Driven to Win exhibit? Yeah, I think a real racing fan could spend half a day in, in that exhibit pretty easily just exploring the cars and the artifacts in there. Uh, if you want to see the whole museum, you've got to figure on at least a day for that. We get a lot of people come up here, and they, they think they can see the museum and the village all in one day, and you just can't do it. it it's kind of tough to see either of them in just one day, too, on their own. You, you almost want to spend three or four days here if you can. Okay, so tell us how General Motors comes into play on this deal. Do they have? you have any General Motors cars on exhibit as well? We, we do, yeah. Our friends at uh, GM have loaned uh, a number of special vehicles for us. We're happy to have uh, Big one I'm excited about. We have the uh, Corvette that won the uh, Daytona 24-hour back in 2001, 20 years ago now. So can't tell a, an exhibit about American racing without America's sports car, right? So you've got to have a vet in there. Okay. Um, they're also loaning us a couple of land speed cars that they built in the early 21st century when they were uh, promoting the, the Ecotech technology. So we've got one that's like a, an homage to a Belly Tank Lakester and then another that is the Cobalt SS. So those are going to be fun to have out on display. They also gave us a beautiful replica of the uh, car that Rick Mears won, the 88 Indy 500. So I think that was the third of four wins. But that lets us not only tell the Rick Mears story, but Roger Penske, too. Got to work the captain in there. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of the captain, I would think that Danny Sullivan's uh, 360 Indy, 1985 IndyCar, winning IndyCar, would be in there as well. We, we would like to, to get that. Right now, uh, Mr. Penske has loaned us uh, Simon Pagino's Indy 500 winner from a couple of years ago, so I'm happy with that for the time being. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go back and ask for some other things, I'm sure. Okay, well, this is cool. So let me ask you this. So um, when they have this event, is there any special media events that are coming up, and are there going to be any like guest celebrities that will be giving any kind of uh, presentations or anything like that during, with, with, while this uh, Driven to Win exhibit is on, on display? Yeah, we're, we're working right now on, on some programs, trying to get some of the folks who are featured in the exhibit to uh, participate in, in panels, maybe even get some to come out. It, you know, the, the virus has kind of messed up some of our original plans, so we're trying to get all that back together. And, you know, normally we would do a big opening uh, dinner, kind of a big gala celebration for an exhibit like this. That's not, not going to work out for us this year, so we're trying a virtual uh, opening for our some of our donors and supporters instead but the it'll be open to our museum members starting march 26th and then to the general public the next day on march 27th 
Okay, so we're only a few weeks away from uh, from being able to experience this then. About, about 10 days, yeah. Okay. So, Matt, tell us a little bit, give us a little background on yourself. Sounds like you're pretty knowledgeable. You kind of really get into this. I mean, what does it take to get this job? I got to ask you that because I envy you because I'm kind of a car automotive history nutcase myself. <laughs> sure. No, I, I grew up in, in Michigan, in, in northern Michigan, or the northern lower peninsula. So, you know, I used to come down, visit the Henry Ford every couple of years or so. So, Grew up knowing the museum and loving the collection, and, and of course, grew up knowing a lot about the auto industry too. Every every Michigan kid goes through that uh, yeah. Michigan history class where you learn about all that stuff and learn about Mr. Ford. So, always had an interest in that. Uh, went to school at in college, I should say, in Kalamazoo at the Western Michigan University, and uh, got a degree in public history, which is, is like history outside the classroom. So, working in museums, archives, libraries, that kind of thing. So. Uh, that's where I got my start. My first job was actually at a railroad museum out in Baltimore, Maryland, which was kind of cool. Got me hooked in transportation. Then I was at the Studebaker Museum in South Bend, Indiana, for a couple of years when they were moving into a new facility. And they've got a phenomenal collection down there, too. I mean, any, any significant Studebaker you might think of, they've got it. And then most recently was out in Minnesota, the State Historical Society there, but then saw the, the job listing at the Henry Ford. It was a chance to come back home to one of the greatest museums in the country, so I, I took it. Here I am. Let's talk about the Studebaker Museum, for example. Now, it's uh, you said it's in uh, Great Bend, Indiana. Is that where you said it was? Uh, South Bend. Yep. South Bend. Uh, okay. Chicago. Yeah. Okay. So now, how far is that from? I'm trying to think. Where Where's Auburn Cord? That's what. What city is that? Yeah. Not That's Auburn, far. Indiana. Duh. Okay. Yeah. Auburn, Indiana. Okay. Not how far. far is that from uh, South Bend? From South Bend, uh, gosh, I want to say it's 50, 60 miles, maybe at most. It's not okay. too far. So I and what people don't realize is, and I was doing because I'm I'm doing I do appraisals and stuff on vehicles, okay. And one of the cars that I'm doing is right now is a replica, or I've been working on it for a while, is a replica of a 1905 Thomas Flyer, and uh, and this was a car that was built to compete in the Vanderbilt race, but it was originally designed also to run on the beaches at Ormond Beach. But in the process, you know, when you're doing these appraisals, you kind of, especially when you're doing vintage cars, brass era cars, turn of the century cars, you discover a lot of early history on these cars and you also discover a lot about innovation and technology and how it evolved and it's amazing that people go wow that's brand new stuff and then you kind of want to go hey look it's really been around for a hundred years it's just that it's refined today you know we've had a lot of this technology has been around it's just that the cost of the ability to make it more affordable and 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 mass produce it is available today as opposed to the way it was you know 100 some odd years ago so where i'm going with this is that and 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 i was in auburn indiana a number of years ago and i was able to visit the um, auburn cord museum which is an amazing piece of history in itself and but what i what i discovered is that really that indiana new york pennsylvania and that part of the world is where a lot of the turn of the century automobile production took place before it migrated to Detroit, and the reason it migrated to Detroit, a lot of people say, is because the resources were there. You know, iron, steel, and 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 lumber, which was used on a, on a lot of the early cars. So I'm sure you've kind of discovered that yourself in 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 the in the process of of learning about you know cars and transportation. Yeah, that's one of the most frequently asked questions I get at the Henry Ford. You know, why Detroit? Why is that the home of the American auto industry? And you're right, it was all over the Midwest. I mean, far west of St. Louis in, in the early, early part of the 20th century. But I, I think you raised some good points about the, the raw materials in Michigan, but the wood and, and the, you know, not too far from the ore in Minnesota. Of course, on right on the Great Lakes, so it's easy to transport all this stuff. But mm-hmm. I think the other ingredient is, is the people, and it just so happened that these characters like Henry Ford <laughs> or like Ransom Olds, like Billy Durant, all happen to be from southeast Michigan. So, you know, you get enough of those people in one spot and they work like a magnet drawing others so which brings up um edison was he from michigan too or where was he from yeah he was born in ohio but grew up in in port huron michigan not too far north of detroit so absolutely okay well you know so in your travels you know i mean when you were at studebaker museum what was some of the fascinating cars that you saw over there i mean what was what kind of like uh just really you know lit things up for you yeah, I got to say, I've always been a fan of the the Avanti. It's just such a beautiful car, and you know, love Raymond Lowy for his work on the railroad side of things too. So they had a couple of nice examples, including one that was driven by Mister Lowy, which is pretty cool. But 
Um, they also had, you know, talk about significant, they had the last uh, Studebaker that came off the line in South Bend in December of 1963. They had some early EMF cars, uh, proto-Studebaker stuff. They had one of the electric shuttles. Uh, Studebaker actually built these for the, the capital, the U.S. capital, so really? <laughs> representatives could ride on this underground tunnel back and forth. So uh, really some cool stuff. And I should mention, too, you know, what something I grew up knowing about, the uh, the Fozzie Bear Studebaker from the Muppet movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, a 50-51 with the little grill in the center? You got it. The little bolt in the middle. Bolt in the middle. Okay. Now, wait a minute. You talk about this little shuttle thing going underneath the uh, Capitol building that went from where? The Capitol to where did it go? Yeah, to, to uh, an office building next door. And, and you, know, you go to the Capitol today, and there's a, a sort of more modern subway system runs on a railroad track back and forth between the buildings. But the predecessor to that was this little electric vehicle, and it had a few seats, each facing toward the center, and it could you know run equally well in either direction with an operator that would sit in the middle and there were two of those that were built. They both survive. I think the second one's at the Swagger Collection in, in Pennsylvania, but the other's at the Studebaker Museum. So Interesting. You know, you talk about technology being around uh, you know, longer than people think. People are always amazed that electric cars were so far advanced in the early 20th century, and there's nothing new about what we're doing with those today. Raymond Lowy, is there not a, if I remember correctly, my history... Uh, is there a Raymond Lowy and a Tucker connect and a Studebaker connection there? Tucker, Studebaker, and Raymond Lowy. Absolutely, with uh, with Studebaker, Raymond Lowy was building uh, designed the Avanti for them, but also was involved in some of their earlier cars too. Uh, in fact, the the bullet nose car we were talking about from the Muppet movie those uh, those coupes, and then famously the '53 Starlight Coupe were really uh, Lowy's masterpieces there. But um, yeah, I think it was a Tucker connection. I'm trying to remember what it might be, but. Uh, that's another one of the favorite cars we have in our collection. We've got Tucker number 16, which, uh, as far as we've been able to determine, is the least altered, most original surviving Tucker. So that's a special piece, too. And that's in the Ford Museum, the Henry Museum, Henry yep. Ford Museum? That, that is in our museum. Yep, that, that's another movie I loved growing up, you know, Tucker the Man in His Dream with that oh, Bridges. I played the movie clip here earlier in the show, so if you want to play the show back, the archive, you'll hear it. Um, let me ask you this. I also understand that there is a full-size locomotive on display at the Henry Ford. Is that true? Oh, yeah. We've got a, a few locomotives, but the one people always remember is our uh, our Allegheny, number 1601. And, and this thing was built to haul coal out of the Allegheny Mountains, and, and it is one of the largest steam locomotives ever built anywhere. I think the thing weighs like 750,000 pounds, and that's without the coal and the water in it. It is absolutely massive. I mean, we literally had to remove uh, pieces of the the door frame and door to get it to fit into the museum, but it's there, and, and you don't forget it when you see it. But it's it's authentic, correct? It, it is the real deal. Yep, it's authentic. It's not a replica. It was actually used on, on the railroads. It's from the final years of steam power, built in 1941, but uh, they, they didn't get any bigger or more impressive than that. What is one of the most unique items that somebody could uh, see at the Henry Ford? Maybe the most unusual item we have is uh, a little vial, a little glass bottle, if you can picture it, with a, uh, a stopper in it. And it is said to contain one of the last breaths of Thomas Edison. So it, you get this picture in your head really? of somebody holding this test tube over Edison's mouth as he's passing away, frankly. But it, it, what it is is there were just a rack of these test tubes in the room where he happened to die. So after Edison passed away, his son bottled one of these up and, and mailed it off to Ford as a keepsake. Because I mean, Ford absolutely worshipped Thomas Edison. There's no other way to put it. So uh, we, we still display that, and it is undoubtedly uh, <laughs> the most unusual pieces we have. Are there other uh, Thomas Edison exhibits on display there at the Henry Ford? There are. We've got some other Edison pieces. In fact, one of our earliest automobiles is a car built by Edison, uh, 1887, I think, and mm -hmm. it's not... You know, Edison was never going to go into the automobile business building cars. This was just a platform to test his storage batteries. But uh, that's pretty cool. We've got uh, some Edison dynamometers that he had designed. We've got a replica of his first Pearl Avenue light station in New York City. So a lot of that. Plus, as I mentioned, the, the whole Menlo Park lab has been recreated out in Greenfield Village. That's where he built the phonograph, the, the light bulb, all those great inventions. We have about uh, a minute left. There's a connection between Edison, Henry Ford, and Mr. Firestone. What do you have for Firestone exhibits? 
Yeah, we have uh, the the farmhouse in which Harvey Firestone was born in Columbiana, Ohio. And uh, you go out to Greenfield Village, you can walk into that farmhouse. We have interpreters dressed in costume of the day that they're actually working on that farm. They're out there tending to the livestock. They're you know tending to the fields and. Uh, that, that's a great experience. And, of course, we have a number of other Firestone pieces inside, tires and over the years, and a tremendous collection of uh, clothing that belonged to Harvey Firestone's daughter-in-law. So that's kind of cool, too. Really interesting. Well, now, if people want to find out more about the Henry Ford, how do they go about doing it, Matt? Best way to do is hop on our website, thehenryford.org, and, and from there you can explore all of our venues and uh, discover our exhibits and hopefully be inspired to come make a trip to visit us. And they're open, is it seven days a week, six days a week? What's the, the daily uh, schedule? Yeah, museum's open year-round, seven days a week. The, the village is also open seven days a week, but it's seasonal, so it'll be opening up again here in April 15th, so just about a month. Okay, and one quick last question. Do you have any classic cars of your own? I, I do not, believe it or not. I get to uh, play with them. It, it works, so I'm happy. I do have a little... Uh, Focus ST I have a lot of fun with, though. Oh, right. I, you know, there's a highly underrated car, and a Focus XT, and I actually like those. My son likes those a lot, too, because he has just a regular SEL or a titanium or something like that. But, yeah. And hopefully, Ford, with this gas going up, will bring back the little Focus, because that was a great little car. Great bang for the buck. Yeah, I love it. All right, Matt, I want to thank you very much. I want to thank my special guest this evening, uh, Matt Anderson, curator of transportation for the Henry Ford Museum. Matt, thank you very much. Say hi to everybody up in Michigan. Tell them uh, we'll get some people up there to go uh, tour tour the museum. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you very much. Have a good one. And congratulations and good luck on the opening. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgia Radio Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Tan Talk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. And uh, you can follow us on our social media. And uh, in the meantime, I want to see some of you guys at some of the car shows. Don't forget to check out flacarshows.com. We can find out about all the stuff. Remember, don't forget the mini items coming up, 12-hour Sebring, HSR, and for some delicious barbecue, the Rib Shack. And uh, don't forget Dunning Brewery. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully. And love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.